I'm interior designer Catherine Vanderheide, and you're listening to Hassle Talks. As a workplace designer, I can't remember hearing as much chat about the future of the workplace as I have over the last year or so. Everything the pandemic has thrown at us all, regardless of our location, has forced innovation and meaningful conversations about how, where and when we want to go to work and what we want out of our workplaces. To help our clients and their organisations approach the changes, Hassel, who are the people behind this podcast, and also the design firm I work for, run an annual workplace futures survey. The 2021 survey results from 2,300 office workers in both Singapore, the UK, US and Australia has confirmed many hunches and introduces surprising new findings when it comes to attracting talent. And I'm really excited to hear about some of those findings from the report's author, senior researcher, Daniel Davis, and hear from some of our clients about their situation in this episode. So Daniel, before we jump into your findings, I wanted to read back to you something you said around this very topical question of how many days people want to come into the office. And that is, in many ways, it seems a bit backwards to ask people the number of days they want to spend at home. So I'm really curious, in your role as a researcher, you must know of countless recent surveys that have asked this exact same question. So why isn't it the right question to you? Okay, so I think firstly, just um, it's great that organisations are surveying people and getting feedback from employees. Uh, If there's one thing that's kind of come out of the pandemic that's been positive, I think it's that organisations are listening more to their um, employees. But one of the issues with this question of asking people directly how many days they want to spend at home is that it doesn't really expose many of the trade-offs that people are making in that decision. So I uh, can imagine an office where people maybe only come in one day a week. If you're an architect or an interior designer, you know that that's going to be a different type of office than an office where people come in five days a week. When you ask people that question just kind of straight up, you're not really exposing to them all the other kind of trade-offs that they're making. And so really the way that I think about it is that, I mean, it's important to be listening to the employees and what they want to be doing, but it's also important to understand what a company's mission is, what the culture is, um, how they want to do work and how they want to organize themselves. And I think a lot of it's about kind of finding those trade-offs. And in some ways, the sort of number of days that someone ends up spending working in a particular place is more the outcome for a model rather than the thing that should be driving what the workplace model is. Yeah, okay. So I know that was a question you did ask as part of the survey we ran, but it wasn't the only one. Uh, So what's different about this research? Uh, So I think probably one of the more interesting aspects of this research, at least from my perspective, is that um, we didn't just ask questions that related to the architecture of the space. We didn't just ask questions that related to the culture. So In other kind of surveys, you'll see um, uh, from, say, HR groups and stuff, they'll just focus on culture or they'll just focus on space. And in this, we were bringing those two together in a holistic survey. Um, The other kind of aspect of it that was interesting is that we'd run the survey actually previously last year um, in Australia. So this year, we expanded it out um, to 2,300 people, and we also included people from Singapore, the UK, and the US, um, which gives us the ability to both kind of look back at what happened in Australia and compare it to what's happening in these other places, and then also compare all these other places against one another. 
so the things that we really wanted to know was like how the recovery was going internationally in all these different places. We're curious about like what had changed in the past six months. Um, we wanted to know where people were wanting to work after the pandemic. And we wanted to understand what was driving their preferences and um, those choices that they're making. And we particularly wanted to know what was going to bring people back to office buildings after the pandemic. And we also know, I guess, that the response to the pandemic has been um, incredibly varied depending on where we are in the world. Um, and here I'm talking to you in London. Uh, you're in New York. Um, so, Daniel, how did you balance it all up against each other to get those insights? Yeah, so we worked with a research partner to recruit all the people that participated in the survey. And they're a research partner that works with a bunch of well-known brands. And they're able to pick people out of each of these countries that um, creates a representative sample of office workers in each region. So we had 500 people from the United States, 500 people from uh, London, 500 people from Singapore and 800 people um, in Australia. And although we had more people in Australia in the survey, uh, we actually weighted them a little bit differently. So the Australians didn't have an outside impact on everyone else. And in total, we asked around uh, 40 questions to each participant. So that's a lot of data. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a lot to process. But after crunching the data, we really arrived at basically five key insights. And the first insight relates to the way that countries and businesses have transitioned from the lockdown and out of the pandemic. And it's probably important to say that when we ran the survey, we ran it in um, April of this year. So the situation was quite different in a lot of these countries. But basically what you saw in each of those countries is that there was a really clear pattern in how they moved out of the pandemic or how they were moving out. So um, in countries that were deep in sort of um, outbreaks. You had a lot of people working at home and then you saw people working kind of in these hybrid situations as they um, exited the pandemic and then eventually in places that were had less of the pandemic occurring, um, you had people back in the office. And while that sounds like really obvious, um, when you look at a lot of what people discuss in the media, uh, a lot of these sort of articles and reports that you'll see, they almost assume that what's happening in this current moment is going to be the thing that carries forward um, for the rest of eternity. And I think probably the most important thing to see from that data is that uh, the situation is really fluid, that it's changing, and that people are adapting and evolving and changing the way that they're working. And Daniel, I'm interested, what was the second insight from the research? The second part of the finding was just how much things have changed in the past six months. And I mean, the answer is basically that things changed a lot. And so we had data from um, Australia in the survey and we looked at what was happening in Australia six months ago and what was happening uh, six months later when we ran the survey again. And you saw these really dramatic shifts in the number of people that were um, now working back in the office at that time in Australia. And of course, everything's changed once again. But I think the question for organizations there is like, how do you navigate a world that is changing so quickly? And I think the answer to that is that you can't really set forward a plan and just execute that. You really have to be testing and experimenting and you can't wait for this data to normalize. You need to be testing things over the short term so that you can develop a long-term strategy. 
such an important topic for our current clients and and especially uh, clients that are in the midst of a um, a real estate commitment. You got it. Hi, I'm Cameron McIntosh. I'm our workplace leader for Victoria and South Australia at Arup. In my role at Arup, it's a two-hatted role, as as a lot of people are these days, and it covers both external projects for our clients, so looking after workplace projects for them, and also a, I guess, a, a role to assist in our own workplaces um, across the world for, for Arup. It really comes back to being focused around people and focused around bringing people together um, so that they can do their best work. There was a lot of research right at the very start of COVID, and a lot of it, shall we say, was a bit speculative and probably um, slightly hysterical in my own view in terms of some of the solutions that people were putting out there. Um, I guess my feeling was that if we're still in those situations, come you know, five, ten years' time, then there'll be a fundamental change rather than us working out how we deal with only two people in a lift at a time, for example. Um, so I think having research that circles back on that after a period of time um, is really important. I think the other thing is that we as Arup have had quite a long relationship with Hassel. Hassel wrote our own workplace guidelines um, back 2013 now um, and the fundamental premise of those still holds true regardless of pre or post pandemic. I think it really comes back to spaces for people and a maybe an acceleration of certain trends that we were seeing pre-COVID rather than anything new or anything outrageous that's going to completely change the world. I think we even see that in our own organisation where different offices and regions around the world were at different points in their journey of, of workplace and how they work. And that's now seen some areas trying to play catch up, other areas like Melbourne, which sort of was leading the way in that sense, are trying to see, okay, so what's next and how do we tweak? And it's more about the finesse rather than the wholesale change and the impact of that change. It's so interesting kind of starting projects kind of in this moment with clients because you know, they have their experience, you know, their, their personal experience, the organization's experience, the cultural experience that they're all grappling with. Um, I think organizations are very keen to hear from their people and it hasn't always been that way. Um, you know, sometimes, say in the past, it could have been quite a hierarchical or top-down decision-making process. But I think companies now understand that, you know, the people, their people, have um have made the last year work for them and and I think they're they're quite of the understanding that in order for that to continue um as we come out of this um you know and, and as people start to kind of move perhaps to the country or um or to another country um but actually still work for the same organization and, and it's a lot of also movement I think in in changing jobs as well around the industry that, you know, for their people to remain engaged, for them to attract new people um, is also a really key part of this scenario. So I think we're talking to people more than ever and not just people who are about to do a workplace, but people that and organisations that are about to find a new building. So we're now being engaged earlier, I think, than we ever have been as well because um, we're becoming kind of a key part or the the strategy um, behind a workplace is becoming a key part of a real estate decision. 
Um, so that's what I find really fascinating too, that, you know, you can have this discussion kind of five years out from a workplace eventuating. So I'm really interested also in your third insight, um, which has to do with the topic of how often employees come into the office. Yeah. So we've heard a lot in these news reports that um, you know, like people want to spend two or three days a week working at home. And we were really curious, like whether or not that was um, accurate and where that kind of information came from. And so when you dig into that statistic that you see around where people say they want to spend two or three days working at home, most of the time that people are reporting on the statistics, it's because they've run a survey that asks people directly, like, how many days do you want to work at home? There's not necessarily a lot of nuance in that question. Uh, as we sort of discussed earlier, uh, there's differences in a workplace where you come in one day a week versus one that you come in five days a week. And so we were really interested in exploring that further. And one of the ways that we did that is in this um, survey, we asked a question that's called a preference test. And so in a preference test, uh, you're shown two different scenarios. So one scenario might be working at home five days a week. Another scenario might be coming into the office um, part-time, but also not having a desk, an assigned desk when you come into the office. And we show those two scenarios and we ask people to pick which one they most prefer. And the advantage of that is that you get a lot of nuance in that. So rather than just asking people how many days they want to come in, they're seeing the sort of trade-off that they're making. And you show people one set of trade-offs and then you can show them the next set of trade-offs and the next set of trade-offs. And doing that, you can show them a whole bunch of different workplace scenarios and get them to really begin to articulate which ones are the best. And what we saw in that is that when you ran the preference test, and so we ran the preference test and we ran it alongside the question that asked people how many days they wanted to spend um, working at home. And when you ran those two things together, when we asked people the question, how many days you wanna work at home, most people said that they actually wanted to work at home two or three days a week, like you saw in the other research. When you gave people this sort of nuance um, of that through the preference test, you saw this kind of shift where a lot more people were more willing to work in the office. Um, far fewer people were willing to work at home when given that kind of context about what it would mean for their um, everyday work life to make those particular decisions. And so what were the options you were giving people as part of the preference test? In total, we explored people's preferences for six different workplace models. And these workplace models, they came out of prior research that was looking at what companies were likely to adopt uh, after their pandemic. And so these are six models that most companies are considering. And they ranged the gamut. So we had um, on the most extreme end, a fully virtual office where people never came in um, to the office. They only worked at home. We had two different modes of hybrid working, uh, a clubhouse where people came in to do social work and worked at home to do more focused work, uh, what we're calling turbocharged ABW, where um, people had a flexibility to choose whether or not to come into the office or to work at home. But when they came into the office, they didn't have an assigned seat. They sat anywhere they liked. Uh, and then we had a bunch of scenarios that were more focused on coming into the office five days a week. So we had hub and spoke, which is um, 
a model where the central office is taken and split into smaller offices closer to where people live um, and activity-based working and a more kind of central static model where people had an assigned seat. And what we saw is that people really tended to favor the flexible model. So the clubhouse and turbocharged activity-based um, working model, they both did really well. Um, and that also there were these demographic differences in what people preferred. So young people tended to prefer the turbocharged activity-based model um, and people that were older tended to prefer more static and central models. And there are also these differences in how people got to work. So people that took public transportation to work tended to prefer the flexible models and people that drove to work tended to prefer models that saw them go back in five days a week. My name is Letitia Hope and I'm the Workplace Partnership Specialist or ISPT. And ISPT is an industry superannuation trust and we invest in property. My role is purely focused on understanding trends, workplaces of the future, third spaces and precincts and ensuring the experience is something that's really going to energise and elevate people when they're there. We've all changed now and COVID's changed what we want and need from workplace and that means we're going to have to deliver different things. What we've got to think about then is how do we, how do we tailor a workplace for every individual? And that is a really tricky thing to get right. From the findings, you know, one of the main things that stood out for me was this turbocharged ABW. So with the ABW in the past, what we've often seen is it starts off as this great aspiration, but as organisations grow, all the different options of spaces get taken up. So it's really starting to think, although we're seeing people consider their space in a very different way at the moment, in this disrupted environment, really being able to understand how do we make that happen and ensure that turbocharged ABW or this um, clubhouse style is actually designed and future-proofed to enable that it meets their needs and continues to offer the variety that people are really craving at the moment. So much that we are focused on in creating a community experience is beyond what there might be from a collab space, but it's actually more about what's going on. What is the what is the thread that runs through a, a workplace, third spaces, you know, our precincts that actually join up and get people to see that they're part of a, something bigger and that people are welcome. We'll be able to see many more underrepresented you know, parts of the community in the workforce in different ways than we've ever seen. What's interesting is that when you look at where each of the countries were at the time the survey was deployed, it really doesn't impact what people want to do after the pandemic. So instead, the main factor here appears to be demographic. So these countries that were um, really locked down when we ran the survey, uh, they didn't have high numbers of people that wanted to work at home. Um, the numbers were actually pretty consistent across different um, geographic regions. And the thing that really differentiated it was these demographic factors. So younger people preferring uh, flexible models and people that commuted using public transportation preferring flexible models as well. Now, what does this mean for organisations? I think for organizations, it really means that it's possible to tune your workplace model to particular goals. 
So if you think about this, if you're trying to attract young talent, perhaps a flexible model is best. If you're trying to retain experienced staff, perhaps offering them a more sort of classic office might work best. Um, but whatever the case, and this sort of goes back to that earlier point, you really need to understand the objectives and what you're trying to get out of the workplace in order to be able to tune it to your company's goals. I'm really interested now, Daniel. So what was the final finding? Uh, so the final finding, this was actually one of my favorite ones. We gave everyone that participated in the survey a list of workplace features that we thought they might want to see in a workplace in the future. We asked them to pick the ones that they'd most like to see in their office when they return back to the office. So this was a big list. There's about 20 different things that we'd sort of brainstormed and came up with as um, possible perks that might draw people back to the office. And I think for me, probably one of the most surprising factors of this research was that you had all these like really sort of high-end, nice-to-have amenities that we'd imagined um, people might want to have, such as free childcare or being able to bring their dog to work. And these things actually didn't really do that well. Um, the things that did really well in the survey were actually uh, free food and a shorter commute, which, I mean, that's understandable. Um, but then right behind those two things was actually just like a real, just like a whole bunch of just like practical considerations. So things like having more space to focus, more space to collaborate, better meeting facilities, you know, just getting the basics right was the thing that people most wanted to see in their workplace. Um, and like we saw in other parts of the survey, there were differences in terms of gender, there was differences in terms of age, and there are differences in terms of um, region. But the thing that I keep on returning back to is just when given this list of just wild kind of fantasyful things that could be in a building, the thing that people really wanted was just the basics to be done well. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing how um, how simple it can be. So, Daniel, as um, as we've talked about, we're in a really fluid situation here. So, I'm curious if there's any question you would now add to the research, if you if you could. Yeah, so we had to cut a bunch of questions out of the survey just because um, people get really tired if they answer too many questions. Some of the questions that would be kind of fun to include we had the space for them. I think digging down a little bit more on the amenities that people wanted to see, like we had had this one question that focused on the amenities, but I think we could have done a lot more there. Um, and I think also understanding more about why people were choosing particular workplace um, strategies. We, we had some indication from the survey, but um, there's more going on there that I think would be worth kind of unpacking and understanding. So it's really fair to say that the return to work is not just about where we're going, but actually how we're getting there. Organisations really need to consider which workplace model fits the goals of, of what they want their business really to be in the future. We know actually from these from this survey that gathering data and using it to inform your workplace strategy is really going to be central to how we get this right. And as this survey shows, it's around the importance of really just getting the basics right, um, keeping it simple. Um, so my take on today's discussion is that if we can really listen to those who we work with, um, our organisation's mission, its culture and the experience of these things can become really tangible um, and meaningful 
to both the current and future people who work there. So I really want to thank Daniel for his research and taking the time today to be part of Hassle Talks. And thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you've tuned into this podcast.